Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Living Courageously Exposed, hosted by Big Inside Out Adventures, and yours truly, Jennifer J. Saunders. My friends call me Jay. So every once in a while, as I'm meeting people across the world and across the country, I come across a few that really kind of give me some apprehension in calling. And my guest today is one of those people. And, and it's not because they're scary people, but it really just taps into my like the insecurities that I still hold. And, and when I met Joe, I was, I first introduced to him through his LinkedIn profile and I thought, Oh my gosh, this guy is so smart and he, he knows all these things and how am I going to talk to him? And I'll tell you what, when I made that phone call, it was one of the most pleasurable phone calls that I have had. It's, I've had a few like this and Joe, you're like one of five that is just like, Oh my gosh, this was such an amazing soul. And so I extended an invitation for Joe to come on the podcast and share his story and a little bit about him so that you get to see the amazingness that I got to got to see and experience as well. So a couple things about Joe before we get going is he's an entrepreneur. This guy knows how to start a business and he knows what he's doing. Uh, he currently is a CEO of his own company. He is a leadership advisor in the areas of advising and operations. And uh, one thing that he really would like you to know about him is that he is the greatest effing consultant ever invented. Those are his, those are his words, and I, I told him I was going to do that. And so, <laughs> Joe, <laughs> when I told him I was going to make the title of this, uh, he was a little bit apprehensive. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit, Joe, about why the apprehension. And in fact, you know what? Let's just start off right there. Uh, everybody, here is Joe Kerner. And Joe, let's right there. What's your apprehension of using that as a title or really putting that out there? Because I think it's something that that a lot of us experience when we're wanting to really say, hey, I have amazing things, but we're apprehensive to really put it out there. Well, so, well, first of all, I want to thank you for that amazing introduction. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. I mean, I was, I, I didn't realize I was so, so good in, in your eyes <laughs> from the phone calls, but I also enjoyed I enjoyed our phone calls as much as you did, to be honest with you. So uh, oh, thank you. anyway, you were welcome. Well, to answer your question, you know, telling someone that you are the best consultant ever invented, that's just not done unless you're saying it's a joke, right? I mean, right. people, people, get, people get turned off to that. You know, you're not supposed to be that proud and that uh, you're supposed to be a little hum- more humble and things like that. And, and I actually am. I, I consider myself a relatively humble guy. However, I do know what I know and right. I know what I've done and I know what I've been able to do with helping other people. And when you and I talked about that, I threw that out there. <laughs> as a joke. You know, you, you, we had a big laugh about it. And, and then, you know, we both laughed and, but I did say to you, <laughs> I'm sure you remember, you know, Jennifer, I said that as a joke, but the right. truth is I really am the best effing consultant ever invented. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's funny is, is when he said that, I told him, I said, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I'm going to title this podcast. And it was interesting because I, I felt a little bit of your, I knew you had said it as a joke, but when I told you I was going to do that there, I felt a little bit of your angst and, I, but I loved the oh, yeah. that came from it because like I say, I think many of us, if not all of us, have that same apprehension, I, I know that I do, of saying, you know, this is something that I know, and yes, there's a lot of other people who know it, but they don't have the same background and experiences that I do that help me be who I am that makes me amazing. So I love that you put it out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I also don't want people thinking that, that I, um, I'm not sure what the word is, that I'm arrogant or arrogant. anything like that. I am the opposite of arrogant. Yeah. Um, and that was one thing okay. that, uh, you know, I, I told you that we would talk about as well as in, in our phone call, I, I probably can speak for our listener as well that, you know, sometimes we see people who appear to have some kind of status or they appear to be very intelligent or they're really pretty really great at business and they could be all of those things and we forget that they're people just like us and i think that was right. one of the most refreshing parts of my time spent with you is i got to see kind of like the, the a little bit a peek into the underbelly of joe kerner and 
I did I did feel and experience your humility and and just kind of realness with who you are and what you've experienced and that really were the things that precipitated me wanting to extend this podcast interview invitation. So thank you for pointing that out and just being who you are. <laughs> Well, so, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So let's delve in a little bit into Joe as a younger kid. I always like to to let our listener know what our interviewee was like as a as a young child. You know, whether it's a young kid or a teenager. What were you like? What did you aspire to? Were you playful? Were you sassy? Were you like really obedient? Uh, I was mostly obedient with my parents. However, I was definitely a rebel as well outside the home. Um, my, um, my teachers had a little bit of a problem with me. I wasn't like a, 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 what I would consider a bad kid. And you have to understand I'm, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. So things were a little different back when I was in school, but, um, I was a bit of a uh, class clown. I, I like to have fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but because I got such great, great grades, the teachers were a little bit of a quandary as to what to do with me, you know, cause, cause I was, cause I was learning my lessons and doing my homework and getting great scores. But at the same time I was cutting up in class and I love to make people laugh. And, uh, so yeah, I had a little bit of a rebellious side and I remember my uh, parents being called a couple of times to come pick me up because the teacher wanted to have a chat first. And you know, they, they were kind of the same, the same attitude. Like, what do we do with this kid? You know, I mean, he's, he's doing great in school grades wise, but man, he just can't seem to stop uh, laughing and making other people laugh. So uh, that's how I was as a kid. And uh, so, I, I like sports okay. as well. So going back to Go ahead. I'm sorry. a little bit, um, do you feel like that, uh, I think your personality is probably that, you know, you're the joker, you, you are pretty jovial, uh, just, just by nature, but do you feel like some of your right. class clown stuff was because you were bored in school? Like you just, you weren't challenged enough. I'm going to say there's, we've got a listener or two out there who either experiences for themselves or they've got children who are like this. And why do you feel like you were that just boredom yeah well i i first of all i i do want to say i do enjoy studying i always have and and to this day i still do i actually like learning um uh i really i just i enjoy it genuinely and i also think it's very important so it wasn't that i didn't study i actually did and um most of the courses came very quickly to me i was whatever the teacher put on the board i pretty much i got it at that point and so there was a little bit of boredom in the sense that once I got something, I got it. And at the same time, I, I really do enjoy having a good time and laughing and making other people laugh. Um, class clown may be, may be a little bit of a strong term. I know I use that term. I, w- I just more was uh, uh, trying to engage people in in light conversation and have a good time and things like that. But obviously the classroom is not the best time to do that, but that's when I was with my friends. Most was in the classroom. So, you know, but yeah, there was a little bit of boredom in there. And I I do want to say I had a great education. I mean, the schools uh, that I went to were very, very good and uh, they taught us well. Uh, And I'm very thankful for my education actually. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but, you know, the, the, the modern education system has changed so much. Uh, and, and, you know, so we could spend hours and hours just talking about that. I'm not sure we want to go down that road because I don't have a lot of good things to say about our current education system. <laughs> yes, it has changed. I just think we've, we've got a listener, like, say, out there who probably experiences for themselves, but the, have kids who are kind of in the same situation. They're, they're getting good grades. They, they're understanding the lessons, but the classroom, you know, there's some boredom or they have too much time on their hands. And so they, you know, they're doing things not necessarily for attention, but because they're bored and they, they do like to, yes. like you say, engage other people who um, may not be in the same space to be engaged because they need to be focused on learning. Right. Do you, have any, do you have any suggestions for parents who have kids like this? Because you obviously 
turned out a pretty great guy. You're an entrepreneur, you, you know your stuff, you're making great living, and you know how to connect with people. So what would you say to parents? Yeah, well, one, the very first thing is to get your, to know your child as a real person. You know, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, just because these kids have small bodies, but they are not small minds. And um, uh, they are real people who just happen to be in smaller bodies. And they're still learning their bodies. And they're still learning how to control things, things like that. But they are awfully intelligent. And, and they're, I believe in talking to children like adults for the most part. And so the, the very first thing is to get to know your child for what he or she is all about. And this is especially true if you have multiple children. Because uh, everybody I know, including myself, who has more than one child, those kids are different. They're all different. Right. Uh, one, of, one of my business partners has seven children. Wow. And all seven are completely different. You would never know they grew up in the same household with the same parents. Wow. Because they bring to the table their own stuff. This idea that children come to the world with a clean slate, I don't know. That's not been my experience. <laughs> kids come to they they come into this world with their own personalities, their own likes and dislikes. I agree with um, that. Their, yeah, their own dreams and goals. I don't know how in the world that's considered a blank slate, you know. Right. So you really have to sit down and talk to your child, but not in any kind of a baby way. You just want to understand what this person is thinking, and uh, there's really two reasons why a child would either be a class clown or act up in school. One is because they're bored and they're doing well and they're just, they don't feel like they have to sit there hours a day because they already got the material. The other reason is the opposite where they're not doing well. And so their acting out is just simply a, what do you want to call it? Like an escape or a, yeah. a cover, so to speak, yes. to, to mask the insecurity of not understanding. Yeah. So the parent first has to find out which one it is. Now, I will tell you, in, in, in every child's defense, it's a, sticking a child in school for, what are, what are they in, six, eight hours a day, okay. is a bit of an artificial environment. Children are not built to sit there for eight hours a day. They're just not. Adults aren't either. <laughs> well, that's true. You're absolutely right. But we're certainly a little bit more willing to. Uh, right. Children have a lot of pent-up energy and they're very active and they want to go out and do things. And so the nature of school itself is a bit constraining. Well, not a bit, it's very constraining. Now I don't have a better solution to be honest with right. you, but sticking a child in class for eight hours a day is really hard on a kid. And so most kids are going to, what's the word? They're going to feel a little bit of, uh, you know, pent up energy and, and whatever. They're going to be a little, um, rambunctious here and there. Anyway, the, the, the number one thing and the most important thing is for the parent to get to know his or her child. That, and that one child, whoever they're talking to, if they got multiple kids, you got to be aware that each child is different. And then you take care of that child or handle the, the problem or whatever it is, you base your decisions and actions on that child and what that child needs and wants. And, um, you know, it, it, getting back to this idea that uh, I always talk to children as adults, I mean, you just look around and how people talk to their children sometimes. Right. An adult would never tolerate that from another adult, <laughs> you right. see, and, you know, but for whatever reasons, people feel like they can talk to their children a little bit differently. And uh, to some degree, that is understandable. But again, these are, these are, adult thinkers in the in the in the body of a child you see that's the conflict there these kids are smart I, and they may I not really believe they come like they're here to teach us yeah yeah they sure are and even a baby now a baby can't speak but a baby sure can understand what you're saying right. and that's sort of the paradox uh, because the baby doesn't know how to form the words yet but that baby knows what you're saying and so you have to be very careful what you say around a, a baby. Uh, and when you talk to the baby, just talk to the baby in a normal way, you know, right. uh, not necessarily using $64 words, but you just want to talk to that baby as a, as a real person. 
anyway, that's a very long-winded answer to your question. I, you know what, though? I love it. I love the thoughtfulness in it. And I, I really appreciate you bringing out the point of when you, when you said you have got to know each child as a real person, who they are individually. And, you know, the two reasons, they're either bored or they're covering up the fact that they're not getting it. And yes. that you brought out the point of it's way more than what you're seeing, and you've got to get underneath to the systemic issues of what's going on and really have an understanding of, of the workings of that child to know what steps to take next. And so I appreciate I appreciate the thoughtfulness of that answer. And yeah, oh, you're welcome. I go back to my own parenting, and I only have two. I have two beautiful daughters, and uh, man, it, it life sometimes would have been a whole lot easier. One, if they had come with a manual, and two, they would have but you know, you really quickly learn that they're not. And um, trying to parent them the same just did not work well. Exactly. So I exactly. bringing that out. Um, okay, so tell us, tell us about, um, let's move forward a few years, like high school, getting ready to go into college, and what kinds of dreams and aspirations did you have? What were the things that molded those ideas that were like, okay, in college, I'm going to go be this? Okay. Well, first of all, I didn't have a clear goal or purpose uh, as a teenager, and um, uh, I wish I did. Do you think very many teenagers do? No, but there are some that do. I yeah, mean, there I are some that do. Yeah, and but I wasn't one of them. <laughs> um, but I had sort of a, a general idea. Um, first of all, I am an engineer by education. I love science and engineering. I like knowing how things work. Mm-hmm. And so I was heavy into the uh, sciences, physical sciences and math in high school. And I actually got a scholarship to uh, an engineering school and I got my bachelor's degree there and, and I enjoyed it. And then I got a job uh, with an engineering company uh, designing and building and, and maintaining uh, scientific instruments like electron microscopes and mass spectrometers oh, wow. and yeah i know i, I can know. hear the word you can and, hear it like um, were you ever called like nerd you know <laughs> you're just one of those uh, kind of guys well to my face nobody ever called me that but i'm sure i was probably referred to that way but here's the thing i also i did like sports too yeah so i was kind of one of these these academic jocks so to speak i i did play sports so i think that's probably why i didn't get the nerd label gotcha. put on me however I really have a bookworm. I, I've, I've always loved to read. And uh, to this day, I'm, I, I read, you know, at least a couple hundred books a year, if not more. And um, I just love it. I love to read. So I, I have always been a bookworm. But as an engineer, I quickly realized that there were a lot of things about life I didn't know, all in the area of people and communication. I, I didn't really understand people because being a you know sort of a science major and an engineer my whole thing was thinking logically right and you know what gee not everybody thinks logically <laughs> you know <laughs> or, or like some you of know, us we, we feel our way you know and that's right <laughs> that's right well i was fortunate in that the uh, after well I, I did go back to to get my master's degree and when I came out in 1980, I took a job with a, a company outside of Washington, D.C., and we had this company had just gotten a government contract at the time, um, how to introduce computers into the battlefield. This was a U.S. Army contract. Now, you got to remember this, you know, today war is almost like a video game. But back then, there was not anything like that. Computers were not in the battlefield. And so our job was to figure out how do you integrate computerization into war? And my job was to figure out how business made the transition, because interestingly enough, there are some parallels between business and war. I mean, it's not totally because war is infinitely more difficult, but there were some parallels from a contractual point of view. And so I spent almost two years in the Library of Congress reading pretty much every book written to date on management, organizations, leadership, organizational theory and development, team building, all that stuff. 
I mean, literally two years, eight to 10 hours a day for two years. When you, and, when you told uh, me this story at very first, I was like, oh my word, this was your job. This is my job. You yeah. just got to now, do this. It was, yeah, well, but let me tell you, though, it was a dream job because yes. I love to read. Yes. So imagine, imagine being paid to do what you really love to do. I mean, that's, that's, that's the ultimate. Then, then it so, becomes not a job. If, you know, we always say that, like, right. if you love what you're doing, it's not a job. Now, I, I do want to point out that if I remember correctly, in our previous conversation, when you were telling me this story, we were talking about this is in the days when you actually had to look things up by the Dewey Decimal System. Yes, so that's right. Yeah, yeah. The job, the work is probably finding the books and going through the card files. And I know there's probably people out here listening who have no idea what that is. But for those exactly, who that's right. Remember that. That's right. Just think, you know, Listen, for, spent in the card files finding the books. For all the youngins out there listening to this, um, <laughs> there was no internet. There was no YouTube. <laughs> no, Wik- no Wikipedia. <laughs> audio books, even audio books, like that wasn't a thing. No, not even audiobooks back then. No, <laughs> you know, no, no cell phones, no social media, none of yeah. that. You had you to know, do it the hard way, you, man. That's right. You had to drive to a library. You had to walk <laughs> in, and there's millions of books, and and they had a card file system where you had wow. to find the books you were looking for. And yeah, yeah, it was pretty yeah. wild. However, one thing about a library that is nice is it's pretty quiet, right. and you can sit there un uninterrupted uh, and unbothered. And just study away. So after this contract was over, by this time, I had the equivalent, and I'm not exaggerating, I actually added it up. I had the equivalent of one and a half MBAs wow. just from that, that amount of uh, study. I realized that um, as an engineer, I was missing a lot of stuff in life, and I didn't really understand how to deal with people very well. Uh, this is during the, the process. Well, once I was finished all that study, I had a much better grasp of things like uh, organizational development, team building, yeah. uh, people in the workplace, that type of thing. So when this contract was up after a few years, a friend of mine called me up and he knew what I was doing. I was telling him all about it. He said, hey, Joe, I'm going to start a consulting company. Why don't you join me? He said, you've got so much knowledge. Let's, let's figure out how to apply that. And this is a, a company that was for general businesses. We didn't have any particular vertical market in mind. Um, and we got a few clients. We had some some large companies. We had some small companies, but they were varied. They were in multiple industries. And our approach was we didn't charge people to do research. In other words, if we didn't know something about their industry, we studied it ourselves to learn it. And then we charged them for whatever we were going to do for them. Wow. And that's a bit novel. Oh, yeah, that's very novel. Yeah, the McKenzie's, McKenzie uh, Consulting Companies of the world and the Boston Consulting Groups, you pay, the meter's running. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. When you hire these people, the meter is running every minute of the day. And uh, obviously, we're, we weren't that big. We were just starting out. So we felt like it wasn't fair to people to charge them for what we didn't know and that we had to learn. And so, again, for the next couple of years, we're learning quite a bit. And uh, uh, as an engineer, I had kind of a knack, a gift, so to speak, for figuring out what was going on with an organization pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, between that natural ability and all of my studies for almost three years, right. I could really spot quickly what was going on in the company, what, was, what were the strengths and weaknesses, you know, what was the first thing that needed to be done? What was the second thing? You know, tweak here, tweak there. Right. And so we were kind of an operational type of consultant. We would come in and sort of analyze the company and figure out, okay, here's the plan. Here's step one. Let's do this. Here's step two. Let's do that. And we had a lot of big success. I mean, we really, our clients really jumped their numbers. They grew pretty well. And after a couple of years, this friend of mine, he actually moved to LA. So I, took over the company myself and somewhere along the line, we got a dentist through our doors and don't even ask me how. I was, just, I, I was hoping you would bring this up because I love this little <laughs> jig in the story. <laughs> yeah, this is quite a jig. And <laughs> so this dentist walks in and I can't remember how he found out about us. 
And I didn't know anything about dentistry or medical or anything. And he said, look, I heard some good things about you guys. And can you help me? I said, well, I don't know what's happening. And he told me a little bit. And I said, well, look, let me come into your practice. And let me just spend a day or two, just a fly on the wall and just observe and chat with your staff a little bit. And uh, let's just take it from there. I said, I won't charge you because I have no idea what I can do for you, if I can help you or not. So we did that and I observed and I saw a few things immediately that, that could be improved. And I got with him and said, look, I don't know anything about dentistry, but I, I see this and I see that, you know, your front desk, they don't handle the phones very well. You know, they don't really take that great of care of the patients. They're kind of cold to these people. They're kind of inefficient as a group. Uh, they don't quite know. They're not, they don't fit together well as a group. They're individually, they know their stuff, but they're not a good team yet. Yeah, they're not and so we were up to play and turning as as gears turn in a you know machinery. Yeah, they're not a precision watch. Yeah, that's, that's you know? the word right there, precision. Yeah, so I worked with this guy for a couple of three months, and within six months he doubled his practice. Oh wow! And yeah, and again, even after the six months, I still knew very little about dentistry itself, about the clinical side of it. <laughs> but I didn't. But I didn't have to. That was the thing is right. he's the doctor. He didn't need me for that. He needed the other parts because yeah. doctors are not business. Yeah, trained, you don't need you to know? be going in and telling him how to do fillings and crowns and, you know, <laughs> working with his patients. Exactly. I love that you get to exactly. decide that you do get to work with and the changes that you get to make there. Yeah. So he referred a few of his friends and because he was so happy. And then uh, we doubled their practices in a few months and they referred a few of their friends and we doubled their practices in a few months. And in a couple of cases, we even tripled them within a year. Wow. And within two years, I was nothing but a dental consulting company. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. Yeah, there's there's the big jig. And, that's right. Without any intention whatsoever, we went from general business to dental. The power of word of mouth. I, I would imagine yeah. that as one started talking, then the, the next one started talking, and it just exploded. And, you know, I think we underestimate sometimes the, the power of the word of mouth, but it also changed the trajectory of what you were doing. Exactly. Well, after a couple of years of that, uh, two of my clients and I became real close friends. And um, I, I approached him one day. I said, look, you know, consulting is great. I love it. I said, but, you know, it, it, it can be feast or famine sometimes. And I'd like to build a machine that gives me income, whether I'm actually physically there working or not. Right. So I said, I have an idea. How about if we buy dental practices together? I'll run them. You won't have to do a, a thing. And uh, we'll just take it from there. And the reason I had to approach dentists is because in the two states I operated in, which was Virginia and North Carolina, okay. and most states, this is true for anyway, only a licensed dentist can own a dental practice, you see. So I legally could not own. And he was the dentist. Yeah, exactly. So okay. I had one dentist client slash friend in Virginia, and I had another dentist friend in North Carolina. Gotcha. And I approached them both, and I said, look, you know, I got this plan, this grand plan. Let's buy dental practices. I'll run them. We'll split the profits. I said, I'll be, we'll form a management company, which I can be an owner in that. Uh, but legally, you know, the name of the practices will be yours. Right. And I promise you, you'll never have to set foot in them. And so we did that. We bought 12 practices over the next few years. Wow. And I single-handedly ran them all, did all the hiring and firing and training and systems and this and that and the other thing. And, and, and I learned dentistry. I actually went to continuing education courses with my doctors. See, dentistry was great for me because dent, there's a lot of engineering in dentistry. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, totally. You know, so I really, I dug the, um, the clinical courses that these guys took. I really got into it and, and I became pretty knowledgeable about dentistry. Well, and it and makes so, sense uh, that, that you yeah. would, go in and take these classes with them and, and not just know the management side, but know the, the more clinical sides as well. Like to me, that just is like a no brainer. And I love that you did that. Exactly. Well, one of the things that I taught the doctors how to do was if I could use a dirty four letter word is I taught them how to sell their dentistry. Ah. And most, you know, most professionals, whether it's a doctor, an attorney, an architect, an accountant, a financial planner, the 
biggest weakness with all of these professional people is they don't sell very well. They don't, they don't know how to sell their services very well. Right. And, um, and I noticed that very quickly in my consulting that, that doctors were terrible at presenting their treatment plans to people. They were trying to deliver dentistry 101. They were trying to deliver a clinical course to these people. And so I worked out how to sell uh, their dentistry, how to present their, their treatment plans in a way that gets people to want to buy them. Wow. And I got good at that. So in order to get better at it, I had to know the technical side of it, the clinical side. So that's why I started taking the courses with my docs. But then I, I started to like it just because of the, the engineering side of dentistry, you know, the aesthetic and engineering right. aspect of it. I really got into it. So I worked with my doctors very closely in the areas of how to present their dentistry to people. And this is where they were able to double and triple their incomes because with the same number of people, they were literally producing three, four, five times what they were doing before simply by getting more people to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I want to buy that. I want to let's go ahead and do that. Because this is a simple little thing. Yeah, because now they're actually putting it out there versus – Maybe yeah. just, you know, knowing it's something that they had without, is that, is that the difference? Yeah, exactly. That's right. See doctors, whether it's a dentist or a medical doctor or whatever, they are good at their clinical, uh, 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 thing, whatever their clinical thing is, whether it's dentistry or medicine or whatever, but they, most of them are not very good at presenting a treatment plan to a person uh, to the end result that the person says, okay, I don't care what my insurance covers. I'm going to pay for this because I really believe in you. I believe in the end result you're trying to do for me. Okay. That's so, a, I don't care. I don't care how you couch it. That's selling. You got to be yes, able to sell. Oh, absolutely. Well, and so if I, now that I, I think I hear you a little bit uh, more clear in my own head is you were actually working with them saying, now when you have it, look, we're just going to take dentists and say, you know, we've had our exam now and, you are actually teaching the dentist how to present. We've got to do three fillings or we've got to do this, a, a way to present that, that the patient is now buying into like, okay, I see why this is necessary and I'm all in. Am I hearing you correctly? Exactly. Okay. You are, you absolutely are. Yes. And that was one of the, if not the biggest uh, income producing action that we could do is to show a doctor how to better communicate. And then we got into the, and then that led into the whole realm of communication. And so I spent a few years working that out, not only from the doctor's point of view, but from the staff as well. Mm. How do you answer the phones? I mean, something as stupid as that. Uh, I noticed that only half the people who were calling were coming in. And as I'm scratching my head on that thinking, why? The people are calling the office for a reason. They're not calling just for the heck of it. Right. Just have a chat. You know, they're calling with some intention in their minds. Why aren't they scheduling? So I started listening to the calls and I was shocked at how bad good people are on the phones. <laughs> so, right. so I put together a training program for them and, and they went from scheduling an average of 40 to 50% of callers to an average of 85 to 90% of their callers. Same okay, number so, of callers, but so doubling again, the people who came in. Yes. So again, if I'm understanding correctly, you're taking these receptionists and schedulers and saying to them, Hey, Let's give you some tools, like they're still communicating the same things, but now they have maybe a vocabulary or a, um, not necessarily a talk track, but just the education of how to really engage the person on the other end. Is that? Exactly. Okay. Yes. And, 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 in, and in particular, asking people questions. Ah, curiosity. Um, mo yeah. Most receptionists um, or front desk people in, in doctor's offices, they answer the phone, they give their name. How can I help you? The patient or the caller asks whatever they ask. The person answers and they shut up. Person asks another question. The front desk person answers and they shut up. They don't take control of the conversation. And so I, I don't, I'm not big on scripts. I did write down scripts. However, they were guidelines. I wanted the people to learn how to think on their feet. Yes. And we drilled and role played hours and hours and hours of a period of months on this point of, come on, take control of the conversation, ask questions. You know, what is it that people are looking for? How many other dentists have they talked to? 
Uh, what do they have any fears? What have they done for this condition in the past? Find out from people everything you can think of. And then once you've gotten a good profile in your mind of this person, now you basically present to them why they should come into your office. And you tailor that presentation to what they already told you they're looking for. <laughs> you see? I so, love this. And it, it's I'm, the very essence of salesmanship. Yes. As I'm listening to you speak, like it's my, I'm just like, my eyes are lighting up. Um, yeah, I know you can't see me today, but it's making me so excited. <laughs> and I'm hoping that the person listening to you today can see that even though they may not be in dentistry, how these very themes can assist them in whatever business or, you know, direction they're in where they work with people. Yes. It may be that you're, you know, you could even be like the, the PTA president of an elementary school and you're trying to get other parents and people to buy into why they want to help and volunteer. It, it works the same way, whether you're selling a product or you're just selling an idea. And that, I, I love this. So thank you for sharing. Exactly. You're welcome. Now, any professional practice, whether it's any, any medical doctor, any dentist, any architect, any attorney, an accountant practice, uh, PR firm, anything like this, that's, that's what they call the professional level, uh, meaning, meaning you have to have some sort of a license. That, that's what's usually meant by professional, some sort of a license involved, doctor, attorney, architect, that type of thing. Almost all of them are very weak on the phones. They have their people are good people, mostly. 90% of the front desk people who work in these professional practices are very good people. They've never been trained on the phones. And they're awful. They haven't been trained. Right. And it's all about training. It isn't anything wrong with them, mostly, because like I said, 90% are great people. They've just never been trained. And so um, I have worked with the front desk of numerous businesses, not just dentistry, because as you said correctly, the exact same skills apply. And the, the, uh, the it's almost the same script, so to speak, really. Right. Um, maybe the questions might be a little different, but really it, it's, it's very similar. But again, I'm, I'm not into scripting per se. It's more like guidelines. The, the main thing is taking control of that conversation, asking questions, and then basing what that person tells you he or she is looking for. Now you know what you need to say to get that person in the door. And I'm not talking about lying or manipulating. Right. You would say something only if it's true. So if a, a, real, a real life example in, my, in one of my own practices where uh, I was listening to a call and a, and, a, and a woman called up and she said, do you, take bloody, do you participate with bloody blah insurance? And we didn't. And so our front desk person, I forgot her name, let's just say it's Mary. She had already been through training with me, right? So she says, no, we don't. What is it you're looking for? She didn't wait. She didn't give the person a chance to think. She immediately said, what are you looking for? She got the patient talking. The patient said, well, it turns out the patient needed quite a bit of work. She needed some implants. She had some missing teeth. She was very self-conscious about her smile. And in her own words, she said, I look hideous when I smile. Those are her words. And so this Mary, my front desk person, would ask a few more questions and said, okay. She said, you asked initially about um, participating in insurance. How important is that to you? And the woman said, well, it's pretty important because I'm trying to save money. And Mary said, well, okay, I understand. How about the end result? And then the patient was talking for 10 minutes about what she was looking for end result wise. And Mary's just listening. Right. So now Mary says, it's true. We don't participate with insurance. However, I will tell you, Dr. Smith is the best. I've seen hundreds of people with similar situations as yours, similar dental conditions, and you wouldn't believe how gorgeous they look coming out. They have Hollywood smiles. Yeah. You might spend a few extra hundred dollars here compared to somebody else, but you're going to get the best smile you could possibly want in our practice. Why don't you come in and just come in for a free consultation? It costs you nothing but a little bit of time. Are you up for that? And of course, the patient's scheduled. And of course, the patient became a patient. <laughs> you see, so, that's proper phone salesmanship. Well, and do you feel like some of that, as, I, as I'm listening to you and, and through my own experience, um, that some of that is the value of 
letting the other person, the, the customer, know that they're heard and that you, um, you know, you're willing to see them, but that you're willing to listen to what they want and then address those very things. Like you, you take them at their humanity value. It's totally what you just said. 100%. Nothing more, nothing less. And, and you do that by asking questions and listening. And also you have to have personal conviction yes. that your business that you're working for is truly the best in its field, whether it's a, an attorney or a, um, uh, an architect, uh, uh, you know, a financial planner, a physical therapist, a doctor. If you don't think your doctor is very, very good, you really shouldn't be working there. I would say you probably shouldn't work there. <laughs> exactly. Because what really sells is personal conviction. Right. Um, I, 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 listen, as an engineer, I was a horrible salesman in the beginning. We first started our consulting company. I had the same problem our doctors did. I, I had trouble selling my services. And the day that I realized I got to just simply stop selling and just start talking to people, that's the day I started selling everybody. <laughs> you know, so that's, that, I love that you just brought that up because that's kind of where, where I want to take us next is you have made that comment to me is that you stopped selling and you just started talking, like meeting people yeah. where they're at, listening to them, really being curious about what's on their hearts and on their minds. And then another thing that you said to me is that you have made every mistake possible and invented some of your own. So yes. <laughs> for you to share some of those things and then like how you because I think that's the basis of of the living courageously exposed is that we make mistakes and yet we don't let them define us and what we do then to continue living in a manner that's that's courageous and puts us out there and bold so we can accomplish what it is we want to accomplish sure um, so the um, the on the selling part, you just talk to people. You just ask questions. It's not even so much talking to people. It's asking questions and listening. You know, you should be listening five to ten times as much as you're talking, at least in the very beginning, you know, when you're when you're dealing with somebody. We all have to sell at some, at some point. I mean, I don't care whether you hate selling or not or whether your position is officially a sales position or not. Right. There's some sort of selling involved. And the way to sell is to not sell, but simply ask questions and listen. And then if the person's needs happen to be something that you can take care of, then you show them how you're going to do that. And you just show them with very, without like, you know, trying to convince them too hard or trying to oversell or whatever. You just simply show them, okay, yeah, we can do this for you. We can do that for you. That type of thing. But the key is to listen first and really get a picture in your mind of what's going on. Well, and don't you think now, that, um, kind of just going back really quickly to you've got to have a conviction yourself otherwise yes you're one it's not people can tell when it's not genuine and authentic and when you're, you're yes. trying to convince yourself as you're trying to convince them and so i'm just going to go back to that like if you're working in a place that you don't wholeheartedly believe in maybe look at something so that the selling yes. part doesn't feel so icky for you and the person on the other end of the line exactly that is so true. Yeah, that personal conviction, you can call it self-confidence, you can call it certainty, it's all those things, really. But you generally have to believe that either you can do the job for the client or your business can do the job for the client. You have to believe that. If you don't, then, and you're so right, Jennifer, when you said that people can tell, we are all transmitters and receivers yes. of emotions and, and intentions. You know, most of communication is not the words. The heart and soul of communication is the intentions behind the words. Yeah. You know, I could say something to you in two different tones of voices, and it the exact same words can communicate two different things. Totally. Right. Your intention communicates loud and clear, and most people can tell a phony, <laughs> you know, just like you right. said. Right. Well, and I don't think that a lot of, well, and I don't think things are changing, but a lot of people don't understand that our energy precedes us like way farther ahead of us. Like when we walk into a room, people know we're coming, whether they've seen us or not. And same thing with phone calls, the selling. So I love that you're bringing those points out. Exactly. You're so right. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to your other point about the mistakes, it's true. I think one of the reasons that I'm such a good consultant is because I have made every mistake possible. 
And, and I have invented a few difficulties that probably nobody else has ever thought of. And then I figured out how to get out of them. <laughs> so, yeah, there are too many situations I haven't seen that I don't have some sort of a solution for. And I, I really believe that makes somebody better if they have made some mistakes as well as successes, because now you see both sides of the coin. I'm going to, re, I'm going to meet clients who have various difficulties. That's why I, I have a job as a consultant. If they were, if they were doing great, they wouldn't need me at all. Right. So it's good that I have seen every difficulty myself, having had my own businesses, because now I'm, I have a reality, a common reality with that owner, you say, or that executive. Right. And so I think that's why I, I say I really believe I'm a great consultant because first of all, I did consulting for a lot of years, general business. Then I owned a non-consulting business, you see, my own business. And I had to meet a payroll and I had to hire and fire. And I had to put up with the nonsense that people will throw at you here and there, you know, whether it's a, it's a staff member or a, a patient. So I've been through all of that, and I apologize for this background noise. Uh, but anyway, uh, I've been through all of that. I I've lived what my clients live every single day. I did it for 20 years. Right. And so who better to consult somebody than somebody who's worn those shoes and been in that chair? And I love that you're bringing that out. So maybe one thing that you could talk to us about is, you know, if someone's starting off and they haven't necessarily had all of the fumbles and, and fall downs and, and mistake making that really seasons a consultant or, or anyone who's you know selling or in a business and they're just new, but they know they can do a good job. What would be some words of wisdom that you could share with those people? Um, so you're talking about people who have started a business? Yeah. You know, how do they, uh, well, they not have like the absolute confidence of a season, a person who's been doing it as long as you have? Oh, well, they're not going to have the confidence in the beginning that that's impossible, you know, because um, you have to have you have to go through a few things before you come out the other side. One hundred percent certain. OK, <laughs> you know, and, I, I love that and, you just said that because I think we can forget that. Yes. You know, it's it's normal to have a few jitters and fears. And, and I think I'm going to say probably a minimum of 90 percent of everybody who started the business started out with a combination of being very confident and very scared at the same time. Okay. <laughs> I know that <laughs> I, I'm feeling. certain of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's a feeling of exhilaration, like, Oh, I got my own thing going now. Right. Followed by, Oh my God, it's all on me. Can I make it? Can I do this? Right. <laughs> you know, right. what if I fail? <laughs> that type of thing. So that's normal. And truthfully, I think it's, it's, it's healthy too. If you, it, it's good to be confident. You, you should be very confident in yourself or you have no business starting a business. At the same time, you have to be willing to accept the fact that you don't know necessarily everything. Right. And, and I will tell you, almost every successful business, I don't care who it is or what industry they're in, almost all of them have used some sort of consultants or advisors. It is so rare that you have a person, a successful person who has never had any sort of advisor or coach or consultant. Very I rare. Love, love, love that you just brought that point out because I think that's something that is so important to share with people is that having a mentor or a coach, someone who's been there or farther down the road than you are is so valuable. And I think... You know, I've had times where I have balked at that, but when I've had a coach, oh my word, it, it's invaluable. Like the money that you pay sometimes feels like, oh, like a lot, but really what you get from it is invaluable. And so I too yes. people to get a coach, get a consultant, get a mentor, someone who can assist you to see your own craft that you're unwilling to see. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 a very good point. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so what is one mistake that really you feel like you learned something that you learned the most from that you were like, you weren't quite sure you're going to make it through that one. And, um, you know, what kinds of things did you do to keep yourself taking steps and putting one foot in front of the other to sure. find a solution? 
Okay. Uh, It's actually kind of a a one coin with two sides, the answer to your question. All right. It it is kind of one thing, but there's there's a little bit of a distinction. The first is just general communication. I learned how to communicate with people for real. And as an engine, most engineers, most science majors, we're not very communicators natively. And and I, I liked people and I really enjoyed helping people. I've always enjoyed helping people. But I didn't always know how to communicate with them. And I took courses on communication and worked very hard to apply the material I learned. And it took a few years. It took three or four years to actually break through to the point where I could, I consider myself and everybody else would consider me a pretty good communicator. And, and that was about maybe roughly 30 years ago, give or take. So I've continued to apply and, and take courses. I still take courses, by the way, I probably take, a few hundred hours a year of actual course. I'm, I'm talking about where I actually go to someplace, sit down and learn something, <laughs> not just sitting home reading. That is uh, awesome. And, and, yeah, well, I, it's, it's important and I love it anyway. But the communication has been the biggest breakthrough for me. And the other side of that coin is actually really trying to understand the other person's point of view. In my young days, I was pretty brash and and I was—I probably was a bit arrogant. Uh, people would probably called me arrogant. At, at the very least, I was damn sure of myself. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, um, and and my opinion was more important than other people. This is what I thought of thought when I was in my late teens and early twenties, and maybe even the late twenties. I kind of had this attitude of, hey, you know, I just I just know it all. I, I know better. <laughs> well, I've since learned that was nonsense, and. <laughs> I, I've done a 180 on that, and now I really want to know the other person's point of view. Everybody has a point of view. There's good and even the worst people. There's bad and even the best people. And fortunately, the majority of people have a lot more good than bad. Okay, that's what makes life livable, you see. And so I, even when somebody is doing something stupid, they have a reason for it. Now, I may not know what it is, but if I can find out, that makes them more understandable. And now, if I understand them better, I'm in a better position to help them. I can't do anything for anybody until I understand what makes them tick, what drives them, what motivates them, what are their goals, what are their dreams, what are their hopes, what are their fears, what are their failures. The more I know about them in that respect, the better I can help them get from where they are to where they want to be. And that's where my little natural talent comes in of, of finding what's going on uh, in either an individual or a business. But in order to do that, I have to have a, a, all the information. And I'll spend hours and hours with an individual. Like, it, let's say it's a business owner. I will spend days with this person until I feel that I have enough information to have an opinion. Okay. I don't form any opinions until I feel like I really understand this person pretty well. And so that's probably been the biggest difference is keeping my own opinions out of it until I understand the whole picture and everything that the person's facing. I love that you're bringing this point out. So have you, uh, are you familiar with Brene Brown by chance? I've heard of her. Yeah. So here you can put this book on your list. I would recommend it. She, she's a shame researcher. Uh, she writes incredible okay. things about communication, all the things you're talking about, how to deal with people. And she, her new book is called Dare to Lead. Dare to Lead, okay. Dare to lead. Yep, all the things you're talking about. I just read a, a part in there where she's talking about empathy as a, as a leadership tool. And she's talking about perspective taking. And it's all these things that you just talked about is that many of us grew up in privilege, white, male, Christian, straight, that we think that our way is the right way. And I love that you yes. said, I don't make an opinion until I have spent enough time really getting to know what makes that person tick and why they're doing what they're doing. Exactly. We're talking, it just brought, like I totally saw that paragraph in the book and I think it's it's one you probably would enjoy. <laughs> Stick it on your <laughs> Well, I put my foot in my mouth all too often in my younger days. You know? Okay. You know, having having huge opinions before I knew what was going on. And, and I learned my lesson after it took a few, a few years, but I learned my lesson. And now, 
even if I have sort of an, an, an immediate reaction inside of myself, I bite my tongue. And 90% of the time, after I found out what the person's going through or whatever, my original opinion was totally wrong. You know, you know I had a wrong right. impression of this person, right. you see. And so initially I had to force myself to listen. Now, of course, it's easy. It's natural. It's like breathing. Uh, because I know the value of it, the true value of it, and it's not phony or fake. I, I really, I really want to know. You know, I, I use that old Enquirer line. You know, the National Enquirer. Yes. People who really want to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Yes. I, it's like I tell my own staff. I say, look. Uh, I, for example, I, I insist that we survey our clients routinely. I want to, I want a real survey, not a email survey, but a phone call, a live conversation. I want to know how this person's doing. And, you know, we go, I go over the, with, with my people, the, the questions I'd like them to get answers to. And I say, now, why are you asking this question? Because you really want to know, <laughs> not because Joe Carter's telling you to do it. Right. You really want to know what this person's thinking. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I hammer that. It's become like a running joke now. They call me the, the publisher of the Inquirer because I keep saying, you really want to know. <laughs> You know, as you're talking, and I, I'm taking back to like the first phone call we had, and and I just thought, wow, there's something about this guy. And you know, the more I get to have conversations with you, the more I realize we have a kindredness in our in our souls. Just about you're talking about the curiosity of wanting to know, and and I very much am like that. You know, there's a part of me that gets apprehensive, like my shy parts, my introverted parts are sometimes nervous and defensive when I want to go and meet somebody who's different than I am or who's doing something that I think is stupid. But when I pause and I actually step aside of, of my feelings and recognize that they're mine and it's just an opinion and I actually go and approach the person and talk with them, 90% of the time I'm like, wow, I'm blown away. And, and it only takes a few minutes. You don't, you don't have to take days. Yeah. You know, your right. job requires that, but, you know, I think for me, just out of this conversation, is one thing I would like our listener to know is that step aside. You know, don't form that opinion until you've taken the opportunity to really listen and show some curiosity in why and the what's of the person. For sure. And, you know, speaking of listening, there's, there's a little bit of a science and art to that, too. Because, again, a lot of people, when the other person's talking, they're preparing what right. they're going to say next when the other person shuts up. <laughs> That's not listening. You say, <laughs> I agree. You know, and, yeah. And it took me, I, some of the courses I took, there were a lot of, there's a lot of role playing and it is not easy to turn off your thinking while the other person's talking. It's not easy to just sit there and do nothing but pure. Listen, that, that takes some work to learn how to do, you know, well, and it's yeah, uncomfortable I, I, to like be to actually put yourself. For most of us, it's uncomfortable until we learn it. Put ourselves in that situation because it's vulnerable for us. Because then we yeah. actually have to pay attention and and be involved with the person that we're communicating with instead of talking at. We're actually in it with them, and that's vulnerable and scary. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's the biggest thing is the communication and really being genuinely interested. Uh, and what other people have to say. I have to say, as an engineer, I wasn't all that interested in other people because I was an engineer. You know, my, my forte was the physical sciences and building things and designing things. And, you know, you can make a machine work exactly the way you want to make it work. Exactly. With people, oh my God, people can be real problems. You know, they, they, people actually run around having their own opinions. Do you believe that? Right. I know their own experiences, their own feelings, and there's no precision in the clock, you know, in the timepiece there. Right. So, so just a couple last questions here as we finish up. You said you're an avid reader and you read, you know, 100 plus books a year. So if you were going to recommend books for others to read, uh, what would be three books that have really made a difference for you? That you feel oh, like, wow. I, I know. I knew that was going to be a tough one. Only three. <laughs> Only three. Jeez, Jennifer, you really put me on the spot here. I know. Um, oh, my God. I have all the thousands I've read. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to make oh, it my... later. <laughs> yeah, we might have to, actually, because uh, I want to. I actually want to get that thought, to be honest with you. Perfect. If I could I maybe. Love that answer. If I could. 
Yeah. Okay, What's that? so I love that answer. That you know what? Yeah, you okay. want to put some thought into it because that's honest and it's authentic. So we'll come back to that. And by the time I have this ready to put out, we'll have those those three books. And you can go to five Perfect. if you want to, Joe. Um, so how about okay. this question? <laughs> what lesson has taken you the longest to learn? Oh, it was the one I just mentioned about really being interested, genuinely being interested in what other people think and what they're going through. Um, that took half a lifetime, actually. And I'm ashamed to say, actually, you know, because what comes naturally to a lot of people did not come naturally to me. And uh, I had to work at it very, very hard. Again, it wasn't that I didn't like people or that I, I never, I always wanted to help people, but there's just something kind of in the way. I, I got impatient with people, you know, because yeah. if I saw a solution and they didn't, yeah, my, my reaction was, well, what's wrong with you? Come on. It's so obvious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, think, I think that's and, probably and, common. Well, maybe. I, I, maybe it is. And, and that would be good if it is. It makes me feel better. <laughs> um, but, but, but I did realize, uh, like I said, a, a half a lifetime ago, that that was not the right way to be and that everybody does have his or her own point of view, their own position, their own situation. And who am I to judge? And so that... Once now it took that that was the thing that took me the longest. But once I got that, Jennifer, I got it for real. And now I don't even have to work at it anymore. Now there's it's a genuine interest. So in the beginning, I had to work at it and force myself to be interested. And over time, something blasted through. And now I genuinely am interested in what, what in people and what they have to say and what they think. And even if I don't agree with them, I'm still interested in what they have to say. So what, what I'm actually hearing you say is you took this principle and it moved from your head down into your heart where it, I mean, our hearts, yeah. that's where it's at and it comes naturally and we don't have to, to yeah. think it just is there. That's what I just heard you say is as you were learning it Absolutely. from head to heart. You're exactly right. Yes, that's exactly what happened. I love it. So as you felt the shift happen and, and now it's, you say you've got it for real, what is the payoff for you? Yeah, it, well, it's the uh, end result that's produced with somebody. In other words, helping somebody solve a problem that is near and dear to them or help them reach a goal that is a dream of theirs. I can't tell you how much satisfaction I get when I genuinely help somebody, when, when they have improved their lives in some way or another, small or big, because of something I've done, that is worth 50,000 times whatever money they've paid me, if they pay me at all. Right. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I've been accused too often of being an idiot for, for not charging for everything that I do. And uh, there's probably, from a business point of view, whoever has said that has been true, has been correct. Uh, I've had three or four people say, Joe, you're giving away services you could be making a lot of money on. Right. And there's something, there's something about that, Jennifer, that I don't know. Logically and financially, they're correct. But I would feel cheapened in some way if I demanded money before I helped somebody. I can't tell you how much free consulting and advising I give I give. Um, you know, just because I want to help them in some way, or maybe it's somebody who's struggling. They have no money anyway. And I'll say to them, okay, great. Look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can for you. And if you make some good money because of this, great, you can pay me later. And if you didn't, we call it square. And, uh, I'm very relaxed with that because now I don't feel any unnecessary pressure. The only pressure I feel is a desire to help as opposed to if they've paid me, now there's that extra pressure, like, oh my God, now, now I've got long. to come through. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that you just said that. Um, it's something I can identify with, and I would imagine you know, there is a person or two listening that they can identify with that in whatever they're in, so I appreciate you bringing that out. I think that's a really important point, is it's not always about the money, even though the money is nice, it's about the, the reward of watching somebody come alive by solving the thing that's been the issue, the cog in the wheel, or reaching the goal. That That is so satisfying. And I love yes. that answer. Um, okay, so well, thanks. you're welcome. So let's go here. What makes you different, Joe? 
and why should people choose you? Okay. But I'd like to hear you answer. (laughs) Well, and you know, I've given some thought to this because I've worked with some marketing people uh, to help me with my own marketing. And that was their question to me, uh, all of them, you know, what makes you different? And so I've had to give this some thought even before our conversation. And and there's a few things. One is I am extremely well-educated, both from my own book reading and study, as well as classroom training, as well as working with some very, very successful people. Uh, I've been a sponge for knowledge. And so I... I have a pretty fair amount of knowledge out there. I'm not saying it's more than anybody else on the planet, but it's up there. Yeah. Uh, the second the second thing is the fact that I have lived the heartaches, the, the frustrations, the hard work, the failures. I've lived all that before I achieved my successes. And so whatever difficulty a business is having or an individual is having, I can relate to it. And I've been through it, and I've managed to find solutions to it and and solve it and achieve some success. So to me, that they, they say the greatest or the best drug counselors are ex-addicts. <laughs> you so know, and, and I think that's yeah, I think that's for obvious reasons, right? Well, you know, I am a business owner who has lived through all of the frustrations and pains and and this is and that is that any business owner could go through or any executive could go through in managing a business. I've been through it all and, uh, and I've come through it. So that in combination with the expertise that I've developed over, you know, a 40 year period, uh, I believe puts me right up there with the top of the consultants. I love it. And all said with great confidence. I enjoyed it. As always. This has been a pleasure, and each time I have the opportunity to speak with you, I just, uh, I'm more endeared to you as a person and what it is you do, and I just want to say thank you again for joining us, for being willing to share your experiences and share who you are. I really love it when you're in a space you can share your heart, and I feel like you've you've shared your heart today, and I appreciate that. Um, Thank you for the time, Jennifer. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Any, Any last things? Uh, no, not really. I think I probably said it all. All right. There you go. From the, the greatest <laughs> home ever invented. <laughs> so if you have liked any part of, of the Living Courageously Exposed podcast, I invite you to share it with two people. Pass the information along. We're not only helping them, but we're also helping ourselves. And so I invite you to do that. Uh, you can also donate to help keep this podcast going so that we can continue to bring you amazing people and great content. And we're going to leave you like we always do and say that if you don't believe in yourself, no one else can. It'll be great.